when subscriptions became big, call it three or four years ago in the e-commerce space, it became a lot about like, how do we hack recurring revenue? Or how do we trick somebody into subscribing and now we don't have to go get them again? And there was a, a lack of focus on convenience or a reason why somebody should subscribe outside of saving 10 or 15%. And a lot of the talks that I saw at SubSummit were really about like bringing convenience back, whether that is something as simple as, you know, you don't want to run out of shaving cream or you don't want to lug, you know, a case of water up your driveway and into your house. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. All right, Moyes, we talk about TapCard every episode. We love TapCard. But did you know that TapCard is not for 70 to 90% of your customers? In fact, it's best used for your top 10 to 30% of customers. You get direct access to your VIP segment and the LTV of that top 10% will increase your cohort LTV by about two and a half times. The best part is the instant page loading, the better user experience, the one-click checkout. It's a fantastic experience for your best customers. And you can't forget the free push notifications. If you want to try TapCart, go to tapcart.com slash limited. This is season four, episode eight. Nick, you've been traveling a bunch. You've gone to subscription sub-summit in Dallas. I know we caught up a little bit after the Commerce Summit in New York, uh, but we really didn't get to talk about that on the pod. So I'm excited to talk about both those things. Yeah, I'm pumped. I've got a couple other things as well as um, a quick recap from an event we both went to, Commerce Summit. Yeah. So yeah, where should we start? Uh, Before that, let's start with uh, Guess That Business. Are you ready? Oh, I love this game. Are you ready? Okay, I go. I go. Um, okay, so I almost just said the name because it's at the very top of my Google <laughs> Doc. Okay, so it's founded in Chicago, ninety nine years ago. Ninety nine years ago. Okay, now it's a private company, so it's not publicly traded. So I won't be able to tell you the valuation, but it's a brick and mortar, primarily a brick and mortar business with five thousand seven hundred forty six stores nationwide. 5,700 stores nationwide. So that is massive. Okay. That's a massive footprint. For context, there's 15,000 Starbucks in the United States, 16,000 Starbucks. So this is about, there's about one third as many of this store as there are Starbucks. In 2022, it did $9 billion in revenue, which is about a half a billion increase from 2021. Okay. Of the 5,700 stores, some are owned by the company. Uh, Very few are owned by the company, actually. 222 are owned by the company. The rest are franchised and owned by the franchise network. Okay? So it has 5,700 stores, but it only owns 222. The rest are owned by other people. It did $9.2 billion in revenue in 2022. The cost of revenue was $7.8 billion. So 15% gross margins, not very good margins, you know, 15%. It had a net income of $340 million or just 4% of revenue. 3 million of that revenue, I thought this was just interesting, not that this is going to help you. 3 million of that revenue came from gift card breakage. Your favorite kind of revenue. Yeah, yeah. 3 million of that net income, actually, I'm sorry, not revenue. 3 million of that net income came from gift card breakage. So almost 1% of net income is gift card breakage. Okay, so let me just go over it again. Founded 100 years ago in Chicago, 5,700 stores nationwide. 222 are company-owned. The rest are franchised. 
9.2 billion in revenue in 2022. Cost of revenue, 7.8 billion, meaning it had 15% gross margins. 2022 net income was $340 million or just 4% of revenue. 3 million of that net income came from gift card breakage. Two other notes, fourth quarter 2022, I don't know if this will be helpful, revenue was $2.2 billion. So it's not a super seasonal business at all. A 5.2% increase in same store sales, not a huge increase. You know, the business has been around for 100 years, so it's an old business. Privately traded, not public, is that makes it so hard to guess. If you get this, I'll be shocked. Uh, but yeah, give me your give me three okay. questions. Who is the customer? Good question. My dad, uh, me, uh, maybe your mom. Uh, you know, during the holidays, maybe, but probably not. Anyone can be the customer. Not okay. like you know, only moms, but primary. I bet it's more dads than moms. Let me put it that way. And do they sell something that you can eat? Yes, but that is a very small part of their sales. Okay. I'm thinking of like the Hallmark store for some reason. Ooh, that is so good. That is so good. I think moms would be more likely a customer than, in that than dads. It's not yeah. the Hallmark store, but that is a really good guess. Like, and you said, can you, uh, do they buy something that you can eat? Or I'm sorry, do they sell something you can eat? Like, you know, Best Buy sells like food right at the counter. They don't really do that. Like, that's not their number one product. Same thing over here, kind of. Damn, this is hard. This is super hard. It's privately traded, which makes it impossible. I almost said the name of the business again. Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah. $9.2 billion in revenue, uh, $7.8 billion cost of revenue, $340 million net income. $3 million of that net income came from uh, gift card breakage. 5,746 stores. And a store, is this a, a store or this could be a gas station? It's like a full-on store. store. Okay. No, there's no gas station component to it and there's no canopy. I keep thinking like an auto zone or something, but I think they're publicly- That is traded. so close. Yeah, that is so close. You have no idea. Goodyear? Is Goodyear public? I thought Goodyear just made tires. Do they have stores? Oh, maybe. Goodyear yeah. have stores? No, no, no. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I'm thinking like the Lowe's, Home Depot, AutoZone, O'Reilly Auto Parts, oh shit like God. that. God. Okay, are you ready? God, you were so close. You have no idea. Ace Hardware. Oh my God. You should have said free popcorn. <laughs> they give out free popcorn? Yeah, that's like, uh, I feel like all the Ace Hardwares are known to give out free popcorn. Oh, I, wow. I've been to Ace Hardware they before. Do, never gotten. They only do 15%. They only do 50, that's because they, yeah, they sell all their stuff as a wholesaler to their retailer. So they're like Ace Hardware has a couple components. One is they own 200 stores, but the vast majority of their business actually comes from selling, you know, goods to their retailers. So Ace Hardware corporate sells it to all of the franchise stores. And so there's 5,500 franchise stores. And so they sell the goods there. And so their margins are only 15% there. Interesting. So they're nine point two billion. That must be just like gross income as a as a retail business. No, that's all sales. Uh, their wholesale sales were eight point three billion. Retail sales were eight hundred million across their two hundred twenty two stores. Yeah. Wow. Damn. Uh, that was a good one. So yeah, yeah. That was a that was a really tough one. I was thinking Hose and uh, or uh, Lowe's and Home Depot. I just yeah, said Hose and Lowe's. <laughs> I'm shocked at how close you got. Anyway, 
Uh, I thought that was a fun one. Okay, let's switch yeah, to your topics. Good. Tell me about Sub Summit in Dallas. Okay, Sub Summit. I don't think there's too many too many takeaways there. The biggest thing I I think is, you know, one was I think a lot of people were talking about how subscription used to be something like when subscriptions became big. Call it three or four years ago in the e-commerce space, meaning like everybody had a subscription component to their site. It became a lot about like, how do we hack recurring revenue? Or how do we trick somebody into subscribing and now we don't have to go get them again? And there was a, a lack of focus on convenience or a reason why somebody should subscribe outside of saving 10 or 15%. And a lot of the talks that I saw at SubSummit were really about like bringing convenience back, whether that is something as simple as you know you don't want to run out of shaving cream or you don't want to lug you know a case of water up your driveway and into your house but a lot of it was basically coming back to convenience that was probably my biggest takeaway not that I think it was anything too groundbreaking but but I think the convenience thing was really hammered home the way we've sold it or like you know uh, when native did it back in 2015 was yes we're trying to sell you convenience at the benefit of our LTV. There's two things that I think about that. One is, I think, you know, you mentioned subscriptions became big three or four years ago. I think they actually became big like 10 years ago, or like, you know, that's when they were really starting to blow up. And early on, I think everyone had the benefit of being like, look, I do want to subscribe to Dollar Shave Club Blades because this is great. Or I want to subscribe to Time Magazine. But after, I don't know, I don't know what it was, but at some point, everyone realized once I subscribe, it's fucking impossible to unsubscribe. And so um, I don't, even if it's, even if the company makes it kind of easy, you know, it's still a pain in the ass to be like, I've got to remember my password for what this deodorant business's website on my mobile phone. I have no idea what my password is. And it had to be changed at some point because, you know, my other password is hacked. So now I've got 400 different passwords and I don't remember what they all are. And I got to navigate towards subscriptions and then find subscription and then can't like it just became such a pain in the butt that no one wanted to do it. So even though we were selling convenience, I think the inconvenience of unsubscribing overwhelmed everybody. I think at Native, a couple things that we did was one, we told everyone buy every two months. And we quickly realized that every two months was too much of a frequency, but it was really hard to get the frequency right. Because if you were a guy, like there was a guy, one of my friends would be like, I use a stick of Native every month. And I'm like, Jesus, you're going through one stick every month. Like He's like, I shower twice a day because I go to the gym. I'm a big guy. I work out a lot. I've got a lot of surface area under my arms. So every month is right for me. And we'd have some women who'd go eight months, but without like, you know, before they had to buy another stick. And so it became really difficult for us to figure out that frequency. And that made our business more difficult. And I didn't invest a lot of time or resources into figuring it out. But like we pitched a two-month frequency for my uh, convenience more than the con- uh, consumer's convenience, which probably isn't a good thing to admit. And then the other thing I noticed when we were doing subscriptions in Native is like the cost of getting people to subscribe was so high. Everyone was so afraid of unsubs- like afraid of how hard you make it to churn. So uh, we tried to run ads to a subscription-only page once. I A-B tested early on in like 2016 or like late 2015, I forgot what it was, a page where you couldn't buy one time and a page where you could buy one time or subscribe. And there was a 10x higher CAC on the subscription-only page. That is how much people were like, I don't want to purchase this because they're like, I fucking hate subscribing. And so I think that convenience is great, but I wish there was like some standard where we all, all the rich consumer brands agree to where we're like, look, we will make it so people can unsubscribe online. It's the right thing to do and we should do it. And like, you know, um, like it's annoying and it's preventing everyone else from subscribing because we're bad actors here. I think it actually gives 
Like, you know, when, when you hover over the little I dot on yeah. PDPs of subscribing, it's like, you know, cancel any time and uh, your order, you know, you'll get notified, whatever. I think the actual right messaging in there is explaining how easy it is to get rid of this if you don't like it or if you're not a fan of it. And that's something that I think people don't talk about because they don't want to talk about getting rid of the subscription before somebody even becomes a customer. Totally agree that the the direct to subscriber funnel just doesn't work. And it's so yeah. unnatural. It's not like you go find something for the first time and you're ready to subscribe. We've always found that the the best funnel for subscription is like one to two purchases before asking somebody to commit to subscribe. You also get a longer LTV out of that person, especially if they came in through some sort of a variety or sampler pack or you know tried a variety of, of variants and then decided which one to subscribe to. Versus being like, hey, we'll give you 30% off if you subscribe now, and then it's 10% off going forward. You know, Basically incentivizing somebody su- to subscribe first, those people leave the fastest and they're often like your worst customers. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Um, the other thing that I, I, I'm not sure if they talked about this during the summit was like chargebacks. The number of chargebacks that have come up as a result of subscriptions is now insane. And there are yeah. banks like... Uh, JP Morgan, if you say I subs- I canceled the subscription, they say you don't need to provide proof at all. Like, let's say I subscribe to, I don't know what a good brand is, Hint Water, and I I canceled today, which is June seventh. Uh, you know, uh, like let's say it's June seventh, twenty twenty three, and I I emailed them and I said cancel the subscription, and then like uh, then I did a chargeback for my January order. Hint is going to get that chargeback, and they're going to say, look, here's an email proving that Moyes canceled on June seventh. JP Morgan's like, nope, you yeah, don't care. They're like, he doesn't need to provide proof of cancellation. And you're like, well, I provided proof and he canceled June 7th, not January 1st. And JP Morgan's like, we don't give a fuck. He gets his money back. You lose no matter what. I wish there was some part of Sub Summit that was like, this is the attorney to go to. Let's all sue JP Morgan Chase. I'm the least litigious person in the world, but I want someone over there. Like Jamie Dimon wants to run for president. This is why I'm not going to vote for him until he fixes this issue of providing anyone who's ever called for a chargeback and giving them their money back. The other new chargeback category I've seen is product not acceptable, where I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to go buy a Ferrari with my American Express card. And then I'm going to be like, you know what? I thought it was going to be a little bit faster. I'm just going to do a chargeback on this. How's that sound? Yeah. That sound fun? Of course, that's not acceptable. You can't just do chargebacks for product not acceptable. And if banks are going to let people win that, I'm going to start doing that on Ferraris. The chargeback thing is ridiculous. And it's, you know, last last episode we were talking about like, uh, what would a direct-to-consumer lobbyist help with? I think this is one of those things. Yeah. Chargebacks are insane too, because like we've we've seen chargebacks where the product is delivered and there's even, FedEx has a photo of the product delivered and somebody says, nope, never arrived. And then the bank just doesn't, they don't do anything. And it's almost like a waste of a step when they're like, you know, you want to respond to the chargeback? Like, what's the point? We're just going to get dinged and then Stripe's going to see that and they're going to get pissed. You know, we're going to lose our product because it's already shipped and landed there and we have to give money back. It's insane. Yeah. And we've got this $25 fee and the FedEx driver has a fucking selfie handing over the package to the goddamn customer (laughs) and like, you know, like this. And there's still a goddamn, like we still lose it because they're like, I didn't receive the product. It's unbelievable. Uh, so I wish the yeah. sub summit had talked a little bit more about that because I feel like with subscriptions, like, you know, people are always like, oh man, I don't want this product anymore. I'm too, I, yes, I got an email where I could unsubscribe. Uh, yes, I subscribed and it was very clear, but I still don't want it. I decided after the fact, I didn't do anything when I could have done something. So now I'm going to blame it on the company's doorstep. 
or I'm going to lay it on the company's doorstep. And the, like, you know, the bank is like, well, we don't care who's like, you know, we're not going to eat that. And we want you, the customer is the, you know, customer of our credit card. So we're going to just right. like, they want to be, keep them happy. Yeah. yeah. Surprise. Uh, I wish they'd charge, uh, talk more about that. Uh, but you hosted a dinner there at Carbone. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We hosted a Carbone dinner. Yeah. Which turned out amazing. That's awesome. Any yeah. fun people come? Yeah. The, um, Maybe like Dallas yeah. people come like I mean, handful of brands. Mary Berry came. That's who came. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. So she was there. Just, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I was talking to her 45 minutes ago. I knew she was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay. And then I have some other takeaways from Commerce Summit. Yes. I'd love that. Let's let's do it. Cool. So this was basically, I just had like a running list of notes on my phone. And as I would hear something, I would just... um you know, write it down because I thought it was interesting. So I'll try not to name too many names because a lot of this was shared in confidence, but um, you'll probably know who they are as I read it. So the first one that I think you actually, yeah, yeah, this <laughs> might have been you that that told me this, and I probably should have known this, but there's no tariffs on imports under eight hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, we're, I got a yeah, yeah, I got a segment about that right after this. Amazing. I learned from the GoBold guys that they have a lot of brands that ship to 3PLs in Canada or Mexico and then individually ship them in for this reason. So I thought that was fascinating. Another really interesting cost savings one was a friend of yours that I met who started his own company a couple of years ago, built his own factory and basically saves 30 to 50% of what you know you and I would pay if we were to go to another contract manufacturer he saves about 50% having his own factory and it only costed him a million and a half to set this whole thing up from scratch, which is insane. I, I don't know who you're talking about, but I'll, I'll say like this. I thought like, you know, there was uh, points where uh, when I was running native or even at other brands where I'm like, okay, does it make sense to just keep this margin myself? There's probably 40% margin there. Um, yeah. And then I, then I'm like, okay, the uh, 3PL as well is a bunch of margin. Um, does it make sense to keep that margin? And then I was like, what happens when there's there's 100 people working at this 3PL or like 100 people <laughs> yeah. working at the manufacturing facility? Five of them call, like, yeah, you know, and they're making 20 bucks an hour. Five of them call in sick. And then five more, no show, no calls. If someone does that to me and I've now got to manage 100 people, like the worst thing I am like, is the worst manager in the world. Like, you know, I may yeah. be a bad friend, a bad brother, a bad, bad son. But the worst thing I'm at is being a bad uh, is being a manager, and I don't want to ba- manage a hundred people. And so I think that like um, I was I, I was willing to like give up that margin. But that's really interesting that this guy uh, has a forty to fifty percent uh, like margin like that, or gets that margin from. But he's at a big scale too, so it makes a lot more sense. He is, yeah. So I think it makes sense at his scale. He's yeah. I think fifty million plus, which makes sense for him. I mean, if his yeah. cogs are you know twenty million, that would normally be forty. Yeah, uh, so it works out well. Another one that I thought along with cost savings was was basically like when you sell a company to a strategic that has, um, you know, t- let's take like uh, Native and Procter and Gamble, selling it where there's cost savings alignment versus just the same customer alignment. Like I think a lot in D to C, a lot of us talk about, oh, we should sell where it makes sense for them to use our customer list or their customer list or you know swap customer, whatever it may be. But um, you know, this person said basically sell where the alignment is actually in the cogs going lower. So if you sell native 
and they have another deodorant brand, you know, it makes it a lot cheaper for them to produce native, whether it's with the other products or just deodorant, and get those out and still keep the distribution at a higher margin. That's uh, surprising to hear that somebody said that. I think I know who it was. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, you just texted it to me, uh, so I got it. Um, I th- uh, I didn't experience that at all at Native, and I almost like everywhere I went, I didn't. I, I, no one was like, "What we need to do is save your costs." They're like, "That may be the case when you're a ginormous company, like when you're doing five hundred million in revenue." I can understand why that would be the case. If you're doing under $100 million in revenue, there's so much blue ocean ahead of you uh, that why would you care about that kind of stuff? And so at Native, that never happened. P&G was not like, you know what? We can get coconut oil for you know 10 cents cheaper a pound than you can. Guess what? Yeah. Well, you're going to save two pennies per deodorant sold. Like, there was never <laughs> yeah. any of that, and I really appreciated that. In fact, when we sold the business, one guy from P&G, we announced it. One guy working in P&G supply chain department, like a message me on LinkedIn is like, I can save you 10 cents per uh, like gallon on coconut oil. And I was like, okay, I don't know what to do with that information. But I don't even think like Dollar Shave Club tried to do that. Like I think even bigger, like, uh, you know, I don't think anyone was trying to save. I bet that does make sense when you're doing a billion dollars in revenue or something close to that and under a hundred million dollars in revenue to a big strategic. They're like, they care about revenue growth. They're not worried about saving 5% on your cogs. You know, that's not material enough for them, I think. Agreed. I think I think that's right. The context here was um, a multi-billion-dollar company buying a, a probably three, four hundred million in revenue a year company. Business. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Moise, one of my favorite parts of launching a brand is launching their mobile app, mainly because of all of the features you get inside a mobile app that you don't get on a traditional mobile site. So, for example, push notifications I think are fantastic. If you can get the opt-in for push notifications, you have a golden ticket as a brand. Secondly, I love that in Tapcart, you have these content modules. You can add different pieces of content, YouTube videos, recipes, try-on hauls, all these different things that you can't necessarily make native to the experience of a mobile site. It's really great because it allows you to keep your app like up to date and fresh. So if it's like July 4th or Mother's Day or Valentine's Day or Black Friday season, you can update the app really easily so that you can be relevant to the time period you're in. Couldn't agree more. And if you want to try TapCart, go to tapcart.com slash limited and get up to two months free of TapCart. Okay, another interesting one that I learned in the breakout was if you're hiring for a role that has no upward mobility, let call it somebody who just comments, you know, moderates ad comments, somebody who's just reaching out to influencers, somebody who's just sending DMs, hire overseas because you don't have to worry about their full career trajectory like you do and, and is expected here, where you have to have a clear path of how this person gets to the next level. In this case, it's like, go send your job for the next 10 years is 50 DMs a day successfully. You know, <laughs> so I thought that was an interesting one, and that came from from founders where I didn't expect it either. That was the funny part was hearing a lot of these founders talk in confidence is like completely different than you know anything these people would post on Twitter. Yeah, that's funny. It sounds like you also hate managing people. Actually, now that I <laughs> I listen to that, but um, I will say that you're right. Like I felt like what well, the best part about Commerce Summit is it felt way more blunt because it was with a lot more operators and operators hitting like you know, driving big businesses. It wasn't guys who were doing right. a million in revenue. It was guys doing 50, 100, 500 million in revenue. So they, yeah, they were just operating at a different level. And yeah, it is really hard to be like, 
like, you know, even in customer service, okay, great. Yeah, there's a path to like becoming the head of customer service or manager of other customer service agents or something to that effect. But like after a while, those roles sort of get filled and it's hard. Uh, like, you know, it just makes things really difficult. So I like the idea of hiring overseas. But you hired your assistant or you have some overseas staff at Charma Brands. Is that right? And did that yeah, work out yeah. well or does that not work out well? No, it worked out amazing. You know, she's Was your been assistant? In the same role for, yeah, she's been in the same role for like four years. And, you know, I don't have to worry about a promotion. Are you sort of like, let's say I emailed you and I was like, hey, let's schedule a meeting. Uh, yes, you could pass that off and she would be able to schedule a meeting. Are you able to give her more difficult work where you're like, hey, um, I need to order, oh, I'm going to give you a personal example. I need to order my retainers from Smile Direct Club again. Can you go figure out how to do that? Like, can you give her that and she's able to do that or no? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, at first I didn't think stuff like that was possible. So what I found with overseas talent is as long as you have directions or a SOP, for most stuff it works. If it's something that's like a one-off, I think they'll figure it out. Like she, She's really good at just figuring things out or like doing her own research. But the best is if I can be like, hey, here's how this works. This is how you build it. And you know, basically just keep doing this on some sort of a schedule. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that SOP stuff working because it's like the same thing over and over again. I'm just wondering if like you can be like, hey, I actually need to figure out how to do something new myself. Yeah. Like I need to get my car repaired. Uh, because you know, can you figure out a place to get it repaired? Or I need to I need to have my car shipped from Texas to Florida. Can so can you figure that out? Like, could she figure that out? Probably. Okay. I would I would think that's so. pretty impressive. Okay, that's pretty yeah. impressive. Uh, okay, sorry um, to take you off on okay. a tangent. No, you're good. We'll get your car figured out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another one is, uh, and this comes from Ben. We heard this from Ben on the last season, but you know, rev- gross revenue or just revenue is such an irrelevant number. You have to understand what does every dollar or every order, what does that mean for the cost of time when it comes to picking and packing customers? You know, wh- one order g- generates you know how many customer service tickets. Uh, 0.2, 0.3 tickets, 0.25 tickets, and basically, uh, and then even including returns and you know any other costs that come, that is the number you look at, not revenue. And you scale everything according to that. If you're spending on dollars, you spend into that number versus spending into gross revenue. That's something that I think when people talk about it, it makes a lot of sense. But just hearing it again from Ben and how he thinks about it, was probably one of my favorite takeaways. That's so important to hear again. Um, and I couldn't agree more with that. It helps you in so many ways. Like it's not just a revenue thing, but it's a size of, t- like for instance, if you're going to double your ad spend and you think that's going to increase your sales by 80%, let's say you're going to go from 100,000 a month to 180,000 a month by doubling your ad spend. Well, uh, if that means that you get 180,000 orders, let's say every order is just a dollar you have 20% of your orders result in tickets. You need to staff it for your customer service team now too, because you've got, you know, 4X the number of tickets or whatever it is, or like, you know, an extra 80% the number of tickets rather. So like, you've got to get on top of that kind of stuff. And it really gives you a good idea of like, okay, if I increase my spend, what are the ramifications at every other stage of my business that I need to be ready for? I can't just think, okay, I increased my spend 100% and I've increased revenue. You got to increase your customer service team. Maybe you got to get more boats. Maybe you got to get more containers in stock. You got to do all this kind of stuff. And I love it when Ben says it. He explains it so clearly. And so like, you know, you just realize that the KPI is not just revenue. It's everything that falls as a result of revenue. And the last takeaway 
is basically a weekly or a monthly audit of the business. So understanding cash flow, understanding what's coming in, what's going out, and routinely doing it on a, I think a bi-weekly basis is probably best. I would say too that that event got me so fired up to just cut costs. I don't know if you felt the same way, but just hearing how savage, <laughs> yeah, just hearing how savage some of these founders are with cutting costs or finding different ways to get things done got me personally very fired up to you know basically not do a lot of the things that we do because that's how other people do it. So I'll say a couple of things. Uh, one is I completely agree about cutting costs. No one loves cutting costs more than I do. It is, you know, uh, I dream about it at night. But I will say that like, I would probably do it monthly. Like I think what CEOs often don't do is they just trust, they're like, I have a CFO and that person looks at everything and looks at my finances. If I was the CEO of a business, I would once every three months actually go through the credit card statement that my credit card company, that all my employees use to charge stuff and be like, why is this charge here? Why is this charge here? Why is this charge here? Now, if you see something that says Facebook ads, you have a good idea of what that charge is for. But if you see something that says like Chewy.com, you're like, why is there a, a charge at Chewy.com? Do we have a random subscription at Chewy.com that we need to cancel? And I think yeah. that like, you know, you can immediately slack someone and be like, what is this expense? And someone's going to get back to you right away as a CEO. And so I think that like CEOs don't do that often enough. And I would encourage them to do that. I think that's a great idea. Okay. Here's a surprising take I had. There are a lot of these businesses that are doing 500 million in revenue. I'm like, they were so worried about cash. There was a business I chatted with that was doing 200 million in revenue. And I was like, why would you rather use a cash back credit card to spend on your Facebook ads and earn your cash back? Or do you want 60 day terms? And they're like, we need the 60 day terms. And I was like, are you crazy? This 2% cash back is worth you know, you get it. You want me to reduce your CAC by 2% tomorrow with literally no changes? I just changed the who's paying this credit card. It's you get 2% cash back now. And a lot of people won't take that. They're like, no, I need the terms. And I'm surprised at how many of these big businesses were like, we need loans. And that's why we're managing cash flow as opposed to just being like, yeah, we're making a fortune. We're doing 500 million top line and 50 million bottom line. Yeah, we're worried about that. We'd rather have 2% cash back than 60 day terms. I was yeah. surprised by that in a way that I, I still don't understand why that's the case. How is it at native for you? Let me give you an example really quick. Uh, really what I mean yeah. is if your landlord, Nick, was like, hey, look, you only need to pay me, if you pay me all 10 months, if you pay me rent up front for the entire year, you only have to pay me nine months. You'd probably, you'd consider it. You'd be like, great, I get three months free. That's basically the option at these places, right? That a lot of these guys, they can say, pay your contract manufacturer faster and they'll give you a discount. You know, use uh, cashback credit cards for Facebook ads, and you'll get a discount. And a lot of right. people are like, "No, I need the terms because that's the only way this business works." At Native, I was looking for cashback everywhere. Uh, like, you know, we we were generating. You know, I think when I've made this public, but when we sold the business, we had something like ten or twelve million dollars in cash on the balance sheet. I didn't know what to do. Like, you know, I was if anyone's, you know, I'd go to like a ship station. I'd be like, if I pay you for the entire year. Can I get two months free? Like, what am I going to do sitting on $500? If I can save $60, yeah. let me do it. Um, right. And so I was trying to prepay everyone to save money, but I feel like that's not the case. And I, I still don't understand why that's not the case for businesses doing $500 million in revenue. I also have no idea, but I, I'm yeah. kind of like you. I'm always looking for the savings that come with buying up front or committing to something. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay, really appreciate those hot takes. Uh, I, I'm so glad I got to see you there. Uh, I had a great time at Commerce Summit. Yeah, that was probably the best event I've ever been to. 
Yeah. And it was like one day and it was just like heavy hitters, good conversations and like, you know, honesty. And I really appreciated all of that. Agreed. Um, okay. There's one thing I wanted to chat about, which was uh, Timu. We've chatted about Timu in the past, but I wanted to talk about it again. Do you know what Timu is? T-E-M-U? I've uh, Indian company, right? Uh, it's a Chinese company. So it's e a Chinese company run by, yeah, Pinduo Duo. And basically they sell, here's some items that they sell. Eight makeup brushes for $1. 50 hairbands for $1.17. 10 pairs of socks for $3.87. Six lip balms for $0.97. Cents. Wow. So insanely cheap prices on everything. I see Blendjet here for less than $9. Yes, yes. Everything that you've ever bought in your entire life has been a mistake because you didn't buy it on Timu because Timu is cheaper. And so the company is owned by another Chinese company called Pinduo Duo. So you can buy this thing for, you can buy six lip balms for 97 cents. It's free returns within 90 days and free shipping. So you can buy six lip balms for 97 cents and have them shipped from China to your doorstep in New York for free. And I can tell you right now, you don't need to be a very smart person to know that they cannot make money on that. You cannot you cannot yeah. make six lip balms for 97 cents. You cannot ship them anything from China to America for 97 cents. You cannot offer free returns on anything for 97 cents. So basically, these guys are not listening to Ben at True Classic whatsoever. Yeah. But they are getting a lot of subsidies. And I wanted to talk about the subsidies that this company is getting. And before I talk about the subsidies, maybe I can talk to you a little bit about the size of this business. They ran a couple Super Bowl ads this last Super Bowl. And in this year, Timu says that they will spend $1.4 billion on advertising campaigns in the United States. Wow. Next year, they intend to spend $4.3 billion in advertising in the United States. For context, that makes them certainly within the ballpark of Procter & Gamble, who I believe is the largest advertiser in the world right now. So they're spending, I think, about half or something around that amount in ads for Timu as Procter & Gamble is doing for all of their brands. So they're burning money like there's no tomorrow. Like you got to be burning money, but they are getting they're burning less money than you think and this is why. One is they're getting subsidies from shipping carriers. Uh they're shipping most of their packages from Guangzhou, China and the like you know there was this article in Wired magazine that was talking about this. This is how I know this. They say they're shipping most of their uh, packages from Guangzhou, China to the United States. And on average, uh, shipping a package from Guangzhou to the US is about $14 for the size of packages that Timu ships. But Timu actually went to their carrier, like their UPS in China called JT Express, and said, Look, we're a huge buyer of your services. We need you to eat some of this cost because we cannot afford to send 97 cents lip balm, buy the lip balm. Send it to an American and pay $14 in shipping. So JT Express pays about $5 per shipment or subsidizes the shipment by about $5. So Timu only has to pay $9 to $10. Wow. The other thing that they do is they go to manufacturers. And once they start scaling with a the manufacturer, they say, hey, we need you to uh, bring down your prices. You're selling six lip balms to us for $1.97. Now we need them for $0.73. Cents. We're selling a billion of them. You know you can't sell a billion. You tried to sell them on Amazon yourself before. They go to this manufacturer and this manufacturer <laughs> yeah. like, we tried to sell them on Amazon. We uh, started ads saying, free lip balm, uh, give us five-star review on Amazon. We started paying people for five-star reviews on Amazon, and Amazon caught us and banned our product. 
And these poor guys didn't even know what they were doing was wrong because in China, that's perfectly fine. So they're yeah. like, you know, we thought we were operating okay, like, you know, all right, and we didn't. So we're not we're able to sell on Amazon anymore. So the team of guys says, look, we're selling a billion of your lip balms. Without us, you'd be selling 100 million. With us, you're selling a billion. So you were selling it $1.73 to us before, now we need it for 73 cents. And the manufacturer is like, well, I can either sell 100 million next year or I can sell 1.1 billion. If I sell 1.1 right. billion, I'll probably make zero. But at least I sold 1.1 billion. I keep my factory going. So a lot of times the manufacturers take a loss on this stuff. Finally, their last subsidy is from the U.S. government, which is what we were talking about. If you, if the Timu guys shipped all of their stuff from China to America in containers and then shipped it from America to the consumer, they would have to pay tariffs when they brought it from China to America. Since they're shipping it directly from China to an American, they don't have to pay tariffs. And so they get subsidized by the U.S. government because they're shipping from China. So the jobs are in China. The three PLOs in China shipping directly to an American consumer. The job remains in China. They pay less postage in China, and they pay no duties as a result of being in China. And do they get a rebate from the government? From the Chinese government? No, from ours. No, they, they get cheaper shipping costs. I think with China Post, and they don't have to pay any tariffs. Like if you brought in, the, if you brought the same, let's say you were like, I'm going to go to the same manufacturer of lip balms. I'm going to bring them in and I'm going to pay the same price, but I'm going to put them on a container and ship them from LA to the consumer. And it's only going to take three days. Guess what? Your cost just went up by 25% because the US government is going to tax you for 25% for bringing those things into China. But if you ship them from China, like Timu does, they don't have to pay that 25%. That's that $800 rule you were talking about. How is that allowed? That feels like we're not winning at all. There's nothing in it for us. I have no idea why. Even, even like uh, the Kubani family, the As Seen on yeah. TV family, yeah. they own, I think their most successful product is like the the garden hose that's like a snake that you know wraps up real quick. They're selling this for less than $13 and you know probably mostly here. Why doesn't the government step in and say, you know, not only are you not paying us anything, but you're also completely violating all the patents here? I'm not sure about the patents, but I'm not sure why the U.S. government wouldn't be like, we should tax the good that's shipped directly from China to an American consumer with the same tariff that if we tax it as if it was the job, like, you know, we brought the good in in a, in a container from China to America. At least the right. job for picking and packing would be in America. Why are we like, yeah, let's send this job to, uh, let's let this job go to Guangzhou instead of Los Angeles or San Francisco or San Leandro? I don't know why no, no party is talking about this. Republicans and Democrats, perfectly fine with us subsidizing, like, you know, American consumers subsidizing Chinese manufacturers over and over again uh, while pretending to care about American consumers. It is pretty interesting the amount of social proof that's hammered in on these product pages and the collections pages. They've got on the top above the pricing, it's like 39K plus sold by you know some brand. And then in the brand's parentheses, it says 160K plus sold. And then you go down slightly and the discount's called out with the strike through and a percentage in a different color. Then it's like, oh, you can also pay four payments of $3 if you want, and you don't want to pay the full price today. And then below the add to cart button, it says in demand, 1600 sold in the last hour. Hurry, over 999 people have this in their carts. Number one bestseller. Like everything is just hammering so hard on discounts. The entire site is like a 90% off Amazon. You can also be sure that these guys have tested every single aspect of their CRO to make sure that this works incredibly well. How many of this is true? I'm like, I mean, 
So, the, you know, they're selling all this like, you know, not garbage products, but really cheap products. And somehow all of the reviews are great. No <laughs> one's like, wow, this thing costs 77 cents and it kind of sucks. Like, why? how come? <laughs> yeah. I see why it's so cheap. Everyone's like, this costs 77 cents and it's like a $50 product. And that's a little bit surprising. Makes I wonder what the, the laws are around reviews in China. They're probably not as strict as here. I guarantee you they are not as strict as here. But like these guys have to abide by American rules technically. Right. Um, but yeah. You know, they even have this thing like where they're like standard free shipping on all orders. And they say courier USPS, UPS. Like, to be like <laughs> yeah. look, we're using American companies. Here's the delivery date. You know, get a credit for a late delivery. Uh, like That's they're trying cool, to. Actually. Yeah, that is really interesting. I like that idea. Get a $5 credit for late delivery. Yeah. And then it even says like delivery June 13th to 17th, 82% or less than 10 days. Yeah. I mean, they're hammering home on everything. Yeah. Like they're like, yes, this is shipping from China, but we're using US companies. You're going to get the package, all that kind of stuff. They're doing a good job. Um, right. Okay. So this is, this is their ambitions. They said that the company goal is that Americans purchase 30 times per year from Timu with an average order size of $50, meaning that each user spends on average $1,500 a year. Right now, the rumor is that the average transaction on Timu is $25. In any case, really what it is, is these guys are burning money like there's no tomorrow, but it's, they seem to be subsidized both by their shipping carrier, by manufacturers, and by the US government through uh, you know, no tariffs. That U.S. companies could not get away with, and they're like, you know, making them. They're like, they're doing massive amounts of revenue, four billion dollars yeah. in marketing. You could basically buy every Super Bowl ad, the entire Super Bowl, and you'd still have, I think, like two billion dollars left over. That's amazing. All right, should we dive into one more thing? Or yeah, yeah, let's talk. Okay, one more. I've got, I've got one that I think is uh, that I always hate. Every time I get this, I know you're going to hate it too. It is these publications that write about you and have some bullshit award, and then they come after you like sharks when you try to say that you have this award. And so I did some research on uh, and tried to gather some costs. So Forbes. Forbes has a company called Shook Licensing. The Shook list, you know, it's literally from a licensing company. They came up with a list. It ranks wealth advisors on a yearly basis. If you make it to the list, they will charge you $3,500 a year to use it in your own marketing materials, like an email signature. And if you want to use it as an ad or something else where you're putting paid me media behind it, you have to actually contact them and probably pay triple that. Then if, you, if you're listed in Forbes, so they do it on a case-by-case -case basis. Do they do that for 30 under 30? They don't, at least not that I've seen. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if they did, actually. All right. So another one is called uh, PARS, P-A-R-S, PARS International. They represent Insider, New York Times, Time, CNN, Reuters. And I think at, at one point, they used to also represent Forbes. I'm not sure if they, if they don't anymore they, or they still do. From them, a few years ago, I got an email. It was $1,500 to put a Forbes logo on a website or double that to get the license and perpetuity to uh, put it there. And it's basically you get the right for web banner ads, social media, and email. There's a different cost for using it on merch that you print out, which says, you know, some, some Forbes award. And there's a different cost to use a quote 
on a TV commercial. So when Acura has an ad that says, you know, unique styling inside and out, Forbes.com, that costs probably like I'd imagine six figures for them to use that in the ad. So that's one side of this. This is like all all the the publication side. Any thoughts there before I go to the food and beverage world? This is insane. Uh, Pars, I just looked them up on Google. So they have a one-star review that says, these guys tried to sell us licensing of a quote about our video game. Looks very much like fishing to me. At, le- at the very least, it was dishonest. That's fucking terrible. Yeah. It's fully yeah. dishonest. But let's get into some of the ones that nobody knew about. Susan G. Komen. Oh, Susie. Susie charges a hundred grand for you to basically talk about breast cancer with that pink ribbon and put it on your product. Really? Hundred grand minimum. Oh my God. Then let's talk about MadeSafe. MadeSafe is a dot org website that's, you know, certifies that it's made with safe ingredients, anything from a mattress to a beach towel to cleansers. They charge you annual rates based on product revenue. So if you're doing up up to a half a million dollars a year per product, you pay six grand. If you're doing, you know, $20 million a year selling a product, you have to pay 150 grand. And basically all the increments in between scale from six up to 200 grand is what was listed. That's crazy because, you know, at least with uh, Forbes, I recognize what Forbes is, made safe. I've never even heard of this organization. The value of their seal is like nothing to me. There's more. So there's yeah. another one called Whole30 Approved, which yeah. Whole30 makes a little bit more sense because you're buying into a community's ownership. They're, I think, mid five figures. The one that shocked me the most was uh, Beverage Testing Institute, which we've talked about before. They charge you to basically give a high score and then another charge to use that high score in an ad and run ads with that. I think they're the guys who give like the silver medal or gold medal at like, you know, the World Spirits competition or something like that. There's a double gold, which you, I've never heard of before I got into spirits. <laughs> yeah. And I'd never seen any company get less than silver. I could have peed in a bottle and given it to them and they would have been like silver. Yeah, you would have been silver. Silver, <laughs> silver, silver, silver medal here. Yeah. So some of the other ones, B Corp, that's $1,000 a year, which I don't think that's actually ridiculous because you have to go through a bunch of testing for that. But all the other ones, uh, you know, fair trade certified, triple B rating, USDA organic, protected harvest, green America certified business. Oh, Rainforest Alliance certified is basically you have to pay per pound of product that you sell, and then they will just certify you as Rainforest Alliance certified. <laughs> allure is the same way. Like you can win an allure, yeah. uh, and allure is maybe the most important one of these. Like you win the lower award, they're like, great. You want to use our logo? You got to pass. Like you want to tell you the the store. way to get around the allure one. There's an allure store in Soho, and you pay the slotting fee to get on the shelf there, which is probably like um, it's actually not that expensive. I think it comes out to like a few hundred bucks a month if you buy the you know a quarter. And then you can say you're featured in the Allure store, which is just as good, in my opinion, as saying you're on the Allure, but you don't have to pay that crazy fee. Yeah. Um, It is pretty nuts. I remember Sam Parr once tweeted, I got this email as well, but Sam Parr once tweeted a long time ago, he's like, uh, someone just emailed me and said that they have like the uh, list of like the 30 most up and coming people in like the United States in entrepreneurship by the LA Times. And they're like, it's only $1,200 to be on that. It's not, it wasn't the only time. So somebody else be like, it's $1,200 to be on this list. I also got that email. He tweeted about it. And I was like, look at this. 
literally nothing in the world is what you suspect it is. It's no. all like, you know, I get these emails very similar. It's like, we want to put you on the cover. You know, you've been nominated to be featured on the cover of this magazine that like no one's ever heard of. And then you're like, yeah, sign me up. And they're like, cool, it's going to cost you. You have to buy a package where you buy an ad, you know, three ads inside. So it's going to be $5,000, but we promise we'll put you on the cover. Yeah. And you'll be the only person who's ever gotten any of the circulation of that magazine. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're like, we made five copies. You'll be like, I see someone Go to you and your mom. Elmer's glue. Elmer's glue to like, <laughs> you know, seal these pages. You guys, this wasn't even a professionally done. They're like, yeah, we got it from Kinko's. And we do it overnight. And like, you know, it's the only copy we've ever sold. Yeah. Uh, it is crazy how much of this stuff exists. I didn't realize that, like, you know, even the Susan B. Cullen Foundation was doing it. That's pretty terrible. Yeah. I remember one year um, when I was at Hint, although Hint did pay for it recently. But when I was there, I remember the opportunity came up and I was like, yeah, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we put this on every case? I mean, yeah. like for the month of whatever it is, October, everybody should see this. It's going to bring more awareness. And then it was like, oh, but actually you have to pay a hundred grand like right now if you want to use it. And then I was like, fuck that. What's the point of that? Like, how does that do any good for anybody? You know, there's better ways, I think, to drive awareness for breast cancer than to pay Susan. Sure. You know, uh, last episode, we talked about shitty pro-life tips. I've got another one, which is you start one of these businesses called like, you know, best health for you or like, you know, best for you in terms of health, have a seal and sell it to everybody that like, you know, sell it to Coca-Cola, sell it to Marlboro cigarettes. Everyone who will be like, okay, great. This says best for you in health seal it only cost me yeah. $10,000. And um, I, it's on this cigarette package now because that's how much that like that's how much these seals are worth at this point. They have virtually no brand integrity because everything like they're all available for sale. Yeah, fully agreed. Most of them, I think, are all bullshit. Yeah, it's sad that like, uh, but it's just the way of the world today that like, you know, you, you got to constantly just be you, 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 like, that's why friends referrals are so valuable because you're like, yeah. this person was not paid to tell me this. Exactly. Everybody else, like, I don't trust anything else, but this guy was, to, uh, paid, uh, was not paid to tell me this. Yeah, the funniest is when I hear like my mom says, oh, I bought this because I read some articles and it was the best one. Like, uh, mom, you fell for that. <laughs> yeah. 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 My father's like, I read this article that says like, ginger will regrow your hair. You got boys, you got to use ginger now. And like, yeah. We have ginger manufacturer. <laughs> yeah. like, the ginger company wrote that. Like there's a ginger company out there. Like there's a ginger lobby. You know, there's a milk lobby. There's lobbies for yeah. everything. And they're trying to push. Like the guys who are pushing chocolate milk for like after you work out, that's got to be a lobbyist thing. Like I can't imagine. 100%. You know, it was some, I uh, can't imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger was like, hey, have chocolate milk after you go work out. Yeah, you need to have milk. <laughs> That's right. Okay, awesome. That's a wrap for episode eight. When are you back in New York? I'm here now. Oh, are you, you here now? Oh, I thought you were, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still in New York. I'm here for the next couple of days. Okay, cool. We'll record this week or something. Okay, sounds good. All right, thanks for listening to episode eight. Looking forward to episode nine, guys. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.